Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. I said a lot of things because I loved him. I'd known Diane in the Civil Air Patrol for about three years before we started going out. I was 17 when this happened, and... It's just, it's crazy how different things are. And I'd always known her to be a real bubbly, spontaneous girl, and I knew she was very smart, that she made straight A's in school. She was real determined to get what she wanted. I know I made bad decisions, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad judgments. I had no physical part in this. They had it all. One at a military academy, one at the Naval Academy, the top schools in the country, the top military schools. Young, beautiful, handsome, great grades, honor students. How in the world do these two sweethearts end up charged with murder? Joining me right now, Crime Stories investigator reporter John Limley, forensic expert, death scene investigator Joseph Scott Morgan, and lawyer psychologist Dr. Brian Russell, host of Investigation Discovery's hit show, Fatal Vows, and author of a new book, Stop Moaning and Start Owning. Okay, I got to figure that one out. But first to John Limley, Crime Stories investigative reporter. How did these two... They're both beautiful. The guy and the girl, Diane Zamora, end up charged with murder. Let's just start at the beginning. What happened? We go back first to the early morning hours of December 4th. A farmer is driving along a sleepy, desolate country road near Mansfield, Texas, and he sees something behind a barbed wire fence. And pulls over and discovers it's the body of a teenage girl. Uh, at first, he actually thought he was looking at roadkill. She was unrecognizable. The girl's face was 
uh, completely obliterated. Uh, one bullet hole was in her left cheek, another in her forehead. She had also been hit so many times and so hard on the left side of her head that part of the skull above her ear, and this is a pretty tough part of the skull, was completely caved in. Uh, she was wearing flannel shorts, a gray t-shirt that read UIL Region 1 Cross Country Regionals. Within hours, police officers identified her as Adrian Jones, a 16-year-old high school sophomore from the town of Mansfield that's just southeast of Fort Worth. Let me go to Joe Scott Morgan, forensic expert. Joseph Scott Morgan, professor at Jacksonville State University. Joe Scott, he thinks that actually it may have been an animal on the side of the road when he finds this beautiful young blonde girl, just 16 years old, athletic honor student, the works. And she's been bludgeoned and shot. Now, for him to not even be able to tell if it's a human or not until he sees that the body's wearing a T-shirt, that's bad, Joseph Scott Morgan. Yeah, it is, and it really speaks to to our human nature as well. I can't tell you over the years as a death investigator in New Orleans and Atlanta how many times I had people that found bodies, and their first statement, and it is interesting, their first statement is always, I thought it was a dead animal because our mind doesn't allow us to think this. And then you come across this, this ghastly scene uh, where this girl is just literally, her body is just ripped to shreds. Uh, and it's the only way you can kind of rationalize it. And, and I find that among the general public that just find bodies. This is very, very consistent with what I've heard over the years. And what a nightmare to be driving along and find a dead body. But that's exactly what happened to psychologist dr brian russell you know I, I i've prosecuted so many homicides that i've actually had nightmares of finding a dead body of just finding one and it when you're exposed to that it haunts you the rest of your life i mean you think of it at the very oddest times when you're walking down a hallway or going into a public bathroom you think of a case where you find a dead body. I mean, this is how Adrian Jones was discovered. Someone just drives by and sees her there, dead, at a barbed wire fence on the side of the road. Yeah, Nancy, this is just one more reason that the public should be grateful for the first responders and public servants who respond to these things and, and whose response we sort of take for granted because— they are haunted by the memories of the things that they see. My dad was a career law enforcement officer. My brother's a firefighter EMT. And most of the time, even within their families, they don't do a lot of talking about it, but they do live with those memories as you do uh, inside themselves. And it's just an additional burden that they bear. Uh, we don't pay them nearly enough. And, and just another reason to be thankful and grateful next time you see one of them. You know, back to John Lindley, Crime Stories investigative reporter, uh, John Lindley, so the guy's driving along and finds Adrian's body. At that point, nobody has any idea what happened. Now, this is a farming community, right? And it's all built around a grain elevator and a rodeo arena. Um, it, it's out, I wouldn't say the middle of nowhere, because it's kind of the scenario how I grew up. But it's a rural area where you don't expect to find a dead body. So it's very uncharacteristic. The night before Adrian's body was found along that rural road uh, near Mansfield, uh, the high school sophomore had received a phone call around 1030. Her mom very quickly told her to get off the phone, that it was too late uh, for a young lady to be talking on a school night. Uh, so they go to bed. The next morning, around 7 o'clock... Now, wait a minute. Hold on. I want to follow up on that. That's not entirely unusual because uh, I, I remember we couldn't talk. We, it, it never really even happened. We just knew we weren't supposed to talk on the phone late at night. And, and here is so funny, John. The other day, the phone, the landline rang, and the twins looked up and went, what was that? <laughs> they did not even know what a landline... They said, Mom, what's that, that bell? 
What's that bell? Oh, <laughs> I said it's called time. a landline. So needless to say, they're not talking on the phone late at night. We don't even have the phone ring um, for for a reason. I don't want it to ring. But here's the thing with Adrian Jones. A, she was an honor student. And it was very rare that she was allowed to stay out after 9 o'clock on weekends even and she's 16 years old. In fact, if she would tell her dad she was going to a movie or she loved to go to Six Flags Over Texas, she'd have to show him the ticket stub. Okay? Now, I think... So, it could hardly be said that Adrian Jones was out sneaking around the neighborhood at night. Okay? That did not happen. Okay, back to what you were saying. I just want to set the scene of how this girl was not a runaround. She didn't sneak out of the house. She didn't even go, wasn't out past 9 o'clock. She didn't even get on the phone that late. Okay, back to you, John. She was anything but a rebel. In fact, she spent at least two hours every night doing her homework. Uh, so they go after this phone call. She also call. had a job. Not only did she was she an honor student, she had a job at the Golden Fried Chicken. Right, a fast food restaurant, and she was a valued, trusted employee who had a really great sense of humor, uh, her co-workers have said. Uh, incidentally, uh, Adrian that night tells her mom that it was her friend David that had called. And, and uh, her mom, Linda, didn't recall hearing about uh, David before didn't think anything about it. Uh, after the uh, the phone call, after uh, after they talked, they went to bed. The next morning, around seven o'clock, Adrian's brother Justin knocks on Linda, uh, Adrian's mom's door, and asks, "Where's Adrian?" All of the girls' books, her book bag, were still in her bedroom, and it was long past time for uh, classes, for school to have started. So Linda calls the school and was told that Adrian didn't show up that day. After calling Adrian's friends and their parents, Linda finally reports her daughter missing to police. She has no other choice at that point. And it's not long before investigators are able to match what they have at the moment as a Jane Doe found in the field with this missing girl. Okay, I just had to pause right there, Joseph Scott Morgan, because, I mean, to find out your child didn't show up at school and then find out they're on the side of the road, on the other side of a barbed wire fence, so destroyed a passerby thought your child was roadkill. It, it's almost too much to take in. I mean, Joseph Scott Morgan, you have children. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, I've had to make uh, just under two thousand uh, notifications in person in my career, Nancy, and uh, it's uh, it's one of the single most impactful things that you have to do, uh, no matter how much you witness it and no matter how much you, you convey this information to a family, you cannot even begin to feel the depths of just despair and, and the haunting nature of this thing where it just rips your guts to pieces. And that's, that's what's happened. Uh, in this particular case, you, you have this idea that your child is, is up on their own legs and, you know, kind of moving forward with their future and everything. You, you have an expectation that there will be this normalcy. They'll be able to go in and go to school and, you know, your, your life is moving along like clockwork. And then all of a sudden it's like somebody pulls a pin on a grenade and throws it into the room of your life and just destroys it in that one instance. And, and that's what this mother had to endure. It's, it's a horrible, horrible set of circumstances. Yeah, you know, uh, to lawyer and psychologist Dr. Brian Russell, who is the host of Investigation Discovery's Fatal Vows, I remember waking up day after day after day after my fiancé was murdered, and I would wake up and just think, I want to go back. I want to go back to two days ago, to four days ago as time passed. I want to go back to a year ago. You just, it's, you, you can't take it in. And I cannot even imagine 
what it would be like to lose your child like this. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's such a it's such a flood of emotion uh, that uh, you know you know encompasses uh, disbelief and denial and anger and sadness and and everything and and people I think until they experience a death at least uh, even if it's not a you know a tragic untimely death uh, don't really realize how struck they're going to be but by the finality of that realization like you just said where where you realize oh my god just just a day ago two days ago two weeks ago three months ago they were here and they're not and they're never coming back so you you never get over it you just learn to just live to live on with that being the reality and what was so complex, so um, confusing, is that this isn't an adult that has, you know, a family and a defined workplace. This is a young girl who was popular at school. Uh, I think she was a cheerleader, and she worked in a fast food place. She would see different students from all sorts of schools all the time, including her own high school. She would see strangers coming through the fast food where she worked anybody could have done it and there was no sign of a struggle there were no marks on her hands or legs there were no defensive bruises or cuts there was no sex attack so what's the motive this is what else we learned. That night when Adrian disappeared, sometimes after midnight, one of Adrian's little brothers heard uh, an engine outside the house. And when he looked up, he thought what he saw was a pickup truck driving away. And it was the next morning Adrian was nowhere to be found. Um, the cross-country coach at her high school asked, who is somebody named David on the cross-country team? Who is David, John Limley? David is David Graham, uh, Diane Zamora's uh, not only boyfriend, but now uh, fiancé. And he and, as far as we know, uh, uh, Adrian had sort of a, a, a pretty close friendship. Most people assumed it was nothing more than just uh, friendship. I mean, this guy is a National Merit semifinalist. He is, um, got into the U.S. Air Force Academy through the help of Congressman Martin Frost. I mean, you have to have recommendations from your Congress people to get into these military schools when you get to that level. And he was in the ROTC squadron, he presented colors before football games. He was an honor student. He played high school football, cross country, the works. This guy was every mom's dream son, right? And that's the David that comes into the mixture. And he happens to be engaged to Diane Zamora. I knew that the relationship we had was too serious for that time in our life and I tried to slow it down but there was nothing I could do I was infatuated with her and she was obsessed with me now at the beginning Adrian Jones's murder just seemed like another killing in a small town nobody seemed to be able to figure out what happened uh, within the little town itself everyone was in shock um, Adrian Jones was found murdered. There was no doubt about it that she was murdered. There was no suggestion of a suicide or an accident. And then the hunt was on. Uh, what happened to her? But then there was a crack in the case. Back to you, John. The year after Adrian's murder, a young female midshipman, Diane Zamora, is at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And one night she is doing something quite normal. She's chatting with her roommates uh, about their love lives, past and present. The young women uh, are talking about guys and relationships. Diane starts talking about her 
uh, longtime love at this point. Uh, they went to two separate schools near Mansfield, Texas, but they had a fast and furious uh, uh, love and they became uh, engaged. Uh, Diane boasts that she and her fiance, David Graham, have proven their love and devotion to one another in a most unusual way. It seems that when they were both in high school, David, during their relationship, confessed to Diane that he had cheated on her and had sex with a girl at his school. In their dorm room that night on the academy campus, Diane tells her roommates that she and David killed that girl as retribution for David's having had sex with her. The next day, Diane's roommates waste no time uh, contacting authorities uh, on the uh, academy campus. To Dr. Brian Russell, host of Investigation Discovery's Fatal Vows, a gorgeous young brunette student at the elite Naval Academy here in the U.S. suddenly confides to a roommate that she was deeply in love but that her sweetheart had stated that he once cheated. Once. Once cheated. Dr. Brian Russell, how often? I mean, I, I can't imagine that one episode of infidelity when you're not even married, and these are... are Teens, for Pete's sake, they're just barely in, in, in college. I mean, they're the best of the best in the Naval Academy and the top military school in the country. I, I just can't imagine that that is a motive for murder, Brian. Well, and it's fascinating to think about, uh, sadly fascinating to think about, okay, so if that happened between the boyfriend and, and the murder victim— you know, why in the world would that, uh, you know, why would the murder victim have been perceived to have wronged Diane? You know, the, the, what, what did the murder victim do? The, the murder victim uh, didn't have any uh, uh, vow. I mean, they weren't married, but didn't have any uh, relationship to Diane, didn't owe Diane anything. It was the boyfriend that had betrayed Diane. So we're circling back, Dr. Brian Russell. Yes, and it's, it's again, it's this, um, it, it's more than that. It's this very uh, deeply narcissistically possessive, uh, just really twisted idea that, okay, uh, because you did this to me, uh, I'm not really that mad at you, but I want you to, I, I'm going to stay with you, but I want you to show your love and loyalty to me by going and, and taking my anger at you out upon, uh, upon this girl this, this, that had nothing, no, no relationship to me ever. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's amazing that she's not, uh, she's going to stay with him, but she apparently wants him to go out and show this this act of love for her by committing a murder. Wants the girl dead. Listen to this. She said that the girl, everyone knew that the girl was a tramp and a slut and that she deserved to die. Now, Diane Zamora is who we're talking about. And take a listen to her resume. She's a high school senior at a nearby town of Crowley. She's super smart and equally as determined as her boyfriend, David, to get in one of the top military academies. Member of the student council, member of the key club, um, in the National Honor Society, in a science organization called Masters of the Universe. She played the flute in the marching band. She also ran on the high school cross-country team. I mean, when you look at them, they seem like this couple destined for great greatness, maybe even the White House someday. I mean, it's like your eye is playing a trick on the mind, Dr. Brian Russell. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's an actually uh, interesting lesson for people that you cannot, uh, you cannot expect that just because somebody outwardly 
it, it, there, there are a million things that, that uh, they could be do. They could be doing, uh, you know, military service. They could be um, involved in their church and talking about it all the time. Uh, you, know, you can't look at any one aspect uh, or even a number of aspects of somebody and conclude that they're not capable of profoundly evil behavior. And, you know, what really cracked it, Joe Scott Morgan, was not forensics, your forte, but the fact that months later, after her body's found, a friend, Tina Dollar, and that was the manager at the fast food restaurant, recalled and told police that one day, one day, the teen girl, Adrian, had pulled out a photo of a boy from her wallet and showed it. And she said, his name is David. Well, David, of course, turns out to be David Graham, whose fiance is Diane Zamora. They had met before Adrian's murder, and he had had a relationship with Adrian, and that is what blew it all wide open. Go ahead, John Lindley. Uh, exactly, Nancy. The Grand Prairie police were then contacted because Grand Prairie was the actual jurisdiction where Adrian's body was found. And Zamora and Graham were arrested for capital murder. Um, and once the, the two are arrested, uh, Graham interrogated for 30 hours, during which it, he confesses to killing Jones. Zamora also confesses uh, to the murder. And this is where we begin to see key details of the event because their, their stories at the time were very similar. According to Graham, he and Zamora planned to kill Jones and put her in the lake nearby with uh, weights tied to her body. He called Adrian on the night of December 3rd and arranged to drive her to Joe Pool Lake. Uh, it seemed innocent enough to Adrian. Well, the plan was for Zamora to hide in the hatchback of that car. Zamora said in her confession that they arrived at a spot by the lake a little after midnight on December 4th. She said that when Graham stopped the car, she came out from the hatchback, actually through the back seat, and uh, asks Adrian point blank, surprises her and asks her if she had sex with Graham. Uh, she claims Adrian said that she had, but that she didn't enjoy it because she felt guilty. Zamora becomes even more enraged. Uh, Zamora and Graham both said in their confessions that uh, they got into a struggle. Zamora hits Adrian on the head with weights and uh, that Jones fought back. Uh, Adrian gets out of the car, takes off uh, across a field. Uh, Graham comes up behind her, shoots her twice with a nine millimeter handgun after she fell. Uh, according to Zamora's confession, when he returned to the car, Graham said, I love you, baby. Do you believe me now? And this is what Zamora says. Zamora insists she had nothing to do with Adrian's death. Listen. We, the jury, find the defendant, Diane Michelle Zamora, guilty of the offense of capital murder. Your punishment is hereby set at life in prison. Convicted killer Diane Zamora, who has spent the majority of her life behind bars, is speaking out. When the jury or the judge came back and said, you're sentenced to life in prison, what was that moment like for you? I don't even really remember it. Um, it's a blur. It really is. Um, I think after they said guilty, that was probably the last thing I heard. Diane claims she's not a cold-blooded killer. In fact, she now says she played no real physical role in Adrian's death. Did you pull the trigger? No. Did you harm Adrian in any way? The only thing I did was pull her hair. I remember at one time they were they were fighting. But while prosecutors couldn't prove she played a physical role in the murder, they did prove Diane was the mastermind behind the killing when she allegedly told David to kill Adrian. True? Did you ever ask David to kill her? No, but I did wish her dead at one point, and I think that it went from there. Um, but of course, I wished him dead. I wished myself dead. Um, but I didn't... I didn't 
believe anything like that would or could happen. And then when it did, um, I was in denial. I think he did this because he was obsessed with guns. Um, I think he wanted to know what it was like to use them on someone. So if someone were to say, you were the foundation behind this. No, I think I was a good excuse. I really think now that's what I was. I was a good excuse to do something he already wanted to do. What was your role in all of this? Were you there? Did you participate? You were there. I didn't hit her in the head with a weight. Did you see that happen? She didn't get hit in the head with a weight. Um, she got hit in the head with the butt of David's gun. Did you see that happen? No, but I saw his elbow come down. I didn't have my contacts in. Oh, I didn't have contacts or glasses at all. But my you were hiding in the back of a car that night, your parents' Mazda, correct? True. Did she cry for help? I didn't hear her. Um, I'm sure she did, but I didn't hear her. At this point, you've spent more time behind bars than you have in the outside world. What is that like for you? It's strange. Um, it's something, you know, um, I talk about a lot with a lot of people because uh, I was I was so young. I, I had no experiences out there. I can't even tell you what was going through my mind except that I was just so young and stupid. I was like, yeah, I want to meet this girl. And you don't, you don't think things through. You don't think, oh, it's really late at night. That's when bad things happen. That's from Crime Watch Daily. And in keeping with that, uh, first to you, Joe Scott Morgan, they're going to have to have some serious forensic evidence to pin it on Zamora. I mean, this is a girl who, when she was nine years old, tells her family, tells her family she wants to be an astronaut and sends to NASA for brochures. She immediately starts keeping a spiral notebook of all the achievements she has to accomplish to get a college scholarship. Her family cannot afford it. Uh, her dad is an electrician, her mom a registered nurse. She knew what her grade point average had to be and what her SAT scores had to be. She even carried a knapsack full of school books everywhere she went in case she had an extra 10 minutes that she could use to study. She hung out with the smart kids at school and would call them her homework buddies. And she was dead set on being an academic star. In her junior year, when she posed for her graduation photo, she asked to be allowed to wear the special tassel for being the top 10% of the senior class, even though at that time she didn't know whether she would make it or not. She just wanted to have the photo to keep her going so she could wear that tassel her senior year. This is a year ahead of time, Joe Scott Morgan. She was convinced she would make it and wanted to wear that tassel. So, you know, you've got that dichotomy juxtaposed against a cold-blooded killer. Yeah, you do. Uh, almost uh, reptilian, isn't it? Uh, this idea that uh, uh, she can plan her life out like that. But another thing that she planned out was, uh, uh, let's call it for what it is, it was an ambush and a slaughter of, of this young girl. Planned it out just like she thought that she had planned out her academic future. And uh, the wheels came off of this. The wheels came off of it because, uh, you know, as you had talked about earlier, uh, there were these little clues along the way. It's not, yeah, I am a forensic guy, but it's forensics is just a tool, Nancy. What really solves cases like this is good old-fashioned shoe leather. The police going out, asking questions, following leads. And that's what they did in this particular case, tying everything back together. Uh, you know, and the story that the two of these people are telling didn't necessarily always match up and marry up. And it would seem as though that this uh, Zamora tried to pin everything uh, back on this young man. And granted, he did have his hand in it. Uh, but there was a lot of planning that went along with this, this idea that she was hiding in the back of this hatchback. Can you imagine how horrible this is? This young girl's riding down the road with this guy that she's been intimate with. She's only 16 years old. And all of a sudden, he stops on the side of the road. She probably thinks they're going to have an intimate uh, moment together again. And suddenly this person springs out of the back and begins to accuse her. Uh, just a huge frenetic environment that, that you've got going on. This girl can't control her rage. Uh, apparently strikes her with one of the weights 
that they're talking about weighting her body down with in this lake. Uh, this goes to this idea that they're they're premeditating all of this. You know, they have this plan laid out. And of course, it never comes off, you know, like they think that it will. And this happens case after case. These things get a lot more layered and complicated once you get into the dynamic of it. And suddenly you lose taste for it. You want to try to separate yourself from this horrible, ghastly thing that that has ensued. And apparently that's what happened. You know, just so you know, Dr. Russell, she did make the top 10 percent of her senior class, by the way. She worked so hard because she knew her parents could not afford to send her to college. Um, the dad gets laid off from work. The mom, Gloria, took on two nursing jobs a day, then sold Mary Kay Cosmetics to help pay the bills when the electricity was cut off. Diane Zamora would study by candlelight. Then she meets David Graham on Civil Air Patrol. Um, hold on. Joe Scott, isn't your son in Civil Air Patrol? Yes, ma'am. He is. What is that? It is the auxiliary arm of the United States Air Force. Uh, they do search and rescue uh, for down planes, and they work in uh, uh, disasters, like if there's a hurricane or a tornado. Uh, they'll go out and do recovery and uh, aid, aid victims and that sort of thing. So it's like the perfect storm. Dr. Brian Russell, these two meet. They have the exact same goals and they think that they're star-crossed lovers they both love calculus physics government talk on the phone late at night about their homework they fall in love as only high school students can do and then when she's away uh, she at air force academy he at the u.s naval academy she confesses to the roommate her boyfriend, as she calls him, fiancé, cheated. And the only way to regain her honor is for the third will to be murdered. Is that far-fetched, Dr. Brian Russell? Absolutely, it's far-fetched. In my career, I have evaluated, and this might shatter uh, you know, some people's faith in the medical professions, but I have evaluated literally dozens of physicians who have been in trouble for everything ranging from uh, trying to set up a hit on a former uh, physician practice partner to uh, dealing uh, drugs uh, in exchange for sex, uh, you know. And, and so, uh, as I've said, the, the uh, appearance of success and ambition and motivation and all of that does not mean that underlying that cannot be a profound narcissism that actually, you know, narcissism is the trait that is always underneath sociopathy and psychopathy, uh, because it, it, look at this case. She feels entitled to commit murder to make herself feel better about the fact she was cheated on. He feels entitled to commit murder to hang on to his girlfriend after he's cheated. Uh, narcissism is an interesting trait because uh, to a point it can actually help people achieve things because for example if you wanted to run for public office uh, you first would have to believe that of all the people in the community who could run you were the most qualified to be the leader so it can be helpful to a point but when it starts causing you to feel entitled to do things particularly profoundly destructive things, things you would never tolerate anyone doing to you, is where it really gets malignant and really very dangerous. Well, the two became obsessed with each other, and after Diane lost her virginity to David, uh, which she had planned not to do, in her mind, that was a dramatic act, and it would change her life. She said repeatedly, if I can't be Mrs. David Graham then I will die as Miss Diane Zamora. In other words, he was the only one for her for life because they had sex. Okay, where does that thinking come from? Brian Russell, you're the shrink, uh, host of Fatal Vows on Discovery ID. Well, help me out. That means that's a commitment for life now? Well, I think what you're seeing is the, the malignancy of the narcissism in Diane Zamora, where it, it gets to the point that she feels 
entitled to a person as as we might feel entitled to a thing if we uh, we decide we want a particular car and we go out and work hard and earn the money and we buy that car. That car belongs to us. And if somebody else tries to drive off in it, we are, are righteously, uh, rightly indignant. Uh, but but these these sociopathic narcissists see human beings that way. I see it all the time on fatal vows where people get uh, so uh, so possessive of another human being that if they even think that that other human being might be looking in a different direction, they feel uh, entitled to administer the death penalty if they want to, to that person. And, and sometimes they're so hell-bent on doing that that even if they go down in it, uh, it's all right with them, uh, it, rather than rather than have taken from them what they feel they're entitled to, to have be theirs. This is what David Graham says, quote, when this precious relationship we had was damaged by my thoughtless actions, the only thing that could satisfy her womanly vengeance was the life of the one that had for an instant taken her place. I've never heard so much BS in my whole life. Listen to this. He said, look, look what you made me do. Did you make him do that, Diane? No. I asked him to, I asked him to let me meet her. Had you ever asked him to kill Adrian Jones for you? No. I had no physical part in this, even though they tried to prove I did at first. And even though I said I did in that stupid confession, um, I had no physical part in it, and they proved that in court. How do they piece it together, John Limley, and these two ultimately are charged? Right. They, uh, after hearing the stories that each uh, Graham and Zamora tell police, they realize that this is something that that took some planning, that uh, that they really had to put a lot of thought into exactly how this was going to unfold. Ultimately, it did not unfold the way uh, they thought it would. Um, both later recanted their confessions. Uh, Graham said that he was not guilty of killing Jones, but helped to cover up the murder, which he claimed Zamora committed by herself. Zamora claimed that Graham committed the murder all by himself. Uh, a nine millimeter handgun alleged to be the murder weapon was found in the Graham's attic, which uh, could be reached through David Graham's bedroom. Uh, the police investigated the case for nine months. Uh, law enforcement officials associated with the case stated that the sexual encounter between Graham and Jones did not happen, but was all invented by Graham. You know, after the murder, they resume life as normal. No matter what uh, she was talking about, Diane would always bring up David's name. They would be together doing homework all the time. He would come over every afternoon to run with Diane Zamora. He would stay at her home every night until he would get sleepy and leave. Then they set off David to the Air Force Academy, Diane to the Naval Academy. They had special ceremonies at their high school. Uh, they were presented with Academy acceptance letters. Life went on, except that there was a murder. Adrian was dead. In the end, their own words bring them down. And Joe Scott Morgan, isn't that so often the case? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, people commit these acts. They think that they're going to get away with it. They think that they've planned the perfect crime. And then they begin to get very comfortable with this atypical reality that they're living in, this this idea that, uh, you know, well, hey, man, I, I went out and I, I committed this, this ghastly, uh, this ghastly act. Uh, and I've gotten away with it at this point. It's almost like they have to purge themselves in some way that, you know, we were reflecting earlier about these comments that she had made uh, at the Naval Academy. What level of arrogance does that does that take? Uh, you know, that 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 you're going to 
you know, admit to a group of people this darkness that that kind of indwells you in this event. And this happens over and over again, Nancy. We've seen it time and again where people will, uh, you know, they don't adhere to the old the old adage about loose lips sink ships. Uh, they they go ahead and start running their mouth, even though they've gone to great lengths, as is evidenced in this particular case, uh, where to to plan and do all these things. They maybe they could have gotten away with it if they just kept their mouth shut, but uh, fortunately they didn't get away with it. Well, listen to this. One of Zamora's roommate was talking to Diane Zamora and said, "I bet you guys would do anything for each other." Zamora says, "Yes." The roommate says, "Even kill for each other." Diane Zamora pauses and says, we have. Uh, Then tells a story about killing Adrian, and I don't know if it was out of pride or guilt, but it was very soon after that the two were arrested. Nancy, let's listen to this from A&E's American Justice. She told me that she had had told her roommate stuff. She she had given them several different versions, but when the police came, she said she denied everything, so... I thought, well, if the police come and talk to me, I'll just tell them I don't know anything about it. It came to a point where the detectives were threatening, telling me that it didn't matter what I said, I was going to get the death penalty, and Diane was going to get the death penalty too. And one of the detectives said, David, just write us a story. Tell us something, and we'll make sure they go easy on you. So I said, okay, here, I'll write you something. I hadn't really internalized it yet. And I guess after being awake for so many hours, you know, what I said to the police didn't, I guess it didn't see how any of that could affect my life. She said, um, this is a girl they had sex with and that they had planned her murder. Okay, and how had they planned her murder? At first they were planning to snap her neck and drop the body in lake, but it didn't go as planned. Uh, after they came out of the bathroom, uh, Dave was just uh, holding Diane and she's kind of whimpering and stuff. And uh, that, they just laid down on my floor and went to sleep for a while. And she had told me one time that uh, she had promised David that if she had ever cheated on him, that she would do the same thing for him that they had already done. She would kill the person that she cheated with? Yes. She said that she and David went to the funeral and that when she went to the funeral, she saw the parents and she saw how sad they were. And it made her feel very bad. Um, She felt sorry for the parents. Take a listen to what Adrian Jones, the victim in this scenario's parents, say. And at noon, I knew something was really, really, really wrong. And uh, I called my husband up and I said, Adrian's not here. We can't find her anywhere. She's not at school. She's not at her friends. We called everybody in her address book looking for him. The Davids especially. I was looking at every David in her address book. But it was extremely frustrating. You know, you want to know what happened, and nobody is talking to you. Nobody's answering your question. My husband had to go with the detectives and identify her body. And I called all my family, and and I can still hear their voices saying, no, you're wrong. And uh, it was was the truth. She had been shot and murdered by somebody. No one could figure out why. I mean, here she is, this beautiful young girl, and she's found in this really wackety place out in nowhere land, and she's been shot in the face and bludgeoned in the back of her head. And you don't know why. What did this young 16-year-old little girl know or do? And it caused you to hate her that much. She meant a lot to me. And when she died, something was ripped out of my heart. That will never be replaced. When I heard the guilty verdict, I felt so much pain come over to me from Mrs. Graham. She knew and I knew both that we'd all lost our children. The memories I have of Adrian are of her soccer and watching her play and knowing that she was going to do it. Uh, watching her hair flip in the air watching her with people. John Limley, where are they now? Graham and Zamora were both convicted of Adrian's murder and have spent now over two decades behind bars. And that's where they'll remain at least 
until they are eligible for parole in 2036. They ended their relationship long ago and have each married someone else. Meanwhile, uh, that's though where the similarities end when it comes to their prison experiences. Uh, both have made TV appearances and in interviews have talked about Adrian's murder and their lives behind bars. We've discovered that Graham started a blog from prison with a fellow inmate called Prison News Exposed, and he planned to debate uh, prison issues, according to uh, a newspaper. Of course, without the internet, Graham said he posted to the site uh, by way of mail to a third party. Graham uh, has become very religious. Uh, he's also earned a bachelor's degree in criminology. And while he had previously recanted his confession, which was the centerpiece of the prosecution against him, he told a reporter it was accurate and that he deserved to be in prison. Zamora now says she is completely innocent, that she witnessed the girl's death and helped hide it, but did not help kill her. Take a listen to this. They're where they belong. Nothing they say will ever change what is a fact. And the one priority fact that remains is Adrian Jones died by their hands, by their callous thinking on December 4th, 1995. And she's a box of ashes waiting to be buried. And that's all I got left of my baby. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.